All right. What's up, church? You guys doing good today? Good. Hey, thank you guys for coming to church. It's spring break weekend. There's a lot of other places you could be, and you chose to be here because you're real Christians. And everyone else that's not here, we're praying for them. Just joking. Uh, but I, I am thankful you're here. Of course, welcome to all the visitors in the house. So thankful that you guys came to hang out with us today. Uh, I want to uh, just mention something real quick. If you have something that you keep track of your calendar, your schedule with, get that out right now. If you don't have something like that with you, but if you got your phone, anything you're going to put a calendar, I want you to, to, to put a couple things on your calendar, okay? Uh, we have Easter coming up. It's not, it's not real soon, but I want to get ahead of the game and make sure you guys know what's going on so that you can be planning. You might have your family coming into town, all that. But we're going to be having services March 19th, 20th, and 21st. Okay, so we're going to have five services this year. And uh, we're going to start on Friday nights. We're going to have a 7 o'clock. And then on Saturday, we're going to have a 5 and 7 o'clock. And then on Sunday, we'll have our normal service times. But we are doing an Easter egg um, Blitz, I think would probably be the best way to describe that. Uh, an Easter egg hunt. Not a lot of hunting happening, more just going and grabbing. But, uh, but we are going to have an Easter egg hunt on Friday the 19th at 6 o'clock and then also at 4 p.m. on Saturday before our 5 p.m. service. So I just wanted to get those dates to you. So once again, March 19th, 20th, 21st, and then Easter egg hunt Friday. Sorry, March 19th, 20th. I mean April. I'm just making sure you guys are paying attention in church. Yes, April 19th, 20th, and 21st. Woo! Easter is tomorrow. We just switched things up. We just decided they don't know how to decide when, April, when Easter is. We'll do it for them. April 19th, 20th, and 21st. We'll just move on since I just botched the whole thing. You'll figure it out. We are going to wrap up this series today. God never said that. We've been talking about phrases that a lot of times we've said in common conversation with different people. We've heard it. Some of them are just kind of cultural nuances, things that we've heard that we, we like how they sound, we like how they feel, but the truth is they are not in the Bible. They're not anywhere in there. So some examples, God works in mysterious ways. Okay, well, that's a great phrase, not in the Bible. Once saved, always saved. We've heard that one, but it's not actually in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. It sounds like something that would be in the Bible, but that's not actually in the Bible. This too shall pass. I know I've said that one. You've probably heard that said to you, but it's not actually in the Bible. Money is the root of all evil. That's not actually what it says in the Bible. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So here's the question. Wouldn't you rather know what God actually says in regards to these phrases instead of what culture and everybody else has said? How many of you guys think it's a good idea to know what the Word of God actually says about things in life? So today's statement is this, only God can judge me. And I know many of you are thinking, no, I know that one's in the Bible. That one's in the Bible. If the great theologian Tupac said it, it has to be true, right? <laughs> but this actually all comes from one of Jesus' more famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. 
For in the same way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So it says something similar, but really very different. The truth is this, only God has the authority to judge your eternal life. Like only God has the ability to judge. Only God in the end will make the final call. And I want to let you know this too. We're going to be really surprised at two things when we get to heaven. We're going to be really surprised with who is there. And we're also going to be really surprised with who is not there. Because only God knows a person's heart. Only God knows everything that's happening in a person's life. I do know this, though, that a lot of people, and and even people here, have a real struggle with Christians because of strong judgmentalism. Uh, You just haven't been treated very graciously. And for that, I want to apologize. Um, But a lot of people do judge. And they are judgmental. But the truth is, we all judge. On one level or another, we all judge. So I want to bring kind of a a new twist on this talk today. I'm going to attempt to be very honest and very accurate. Uh, And we're going to take communion later on. And honestly, I think this is a great way to set up communion in our hearts to partake of the elements and remember Jesus because Jesus reminds us of grace. Jesus reminds us of forgiveness. But this phrase, only God can judge me, is not necessarily true. The Bible does say, judge not, lest ye be judged. It also says, let him without sin cast the first stone. The Bible does say those things. But do you think the Lord means you should never judge anyone ever for anything at any time? And do you think we should never allow anyone to correct us, to judge us? Because if only God can ever judge anything then no one would ever go to jail for any reason. No one would ever get fired from a job. And that sounds really good to the person in here that probably needs to get fired from their job. We would never be wise with our kids. We'd never have discernment. Look, when my kids are asking to go and do something, like go to an event, I'm all up in that judging. I'm asking all kinds of questions. Who's going to be there? What's going to happen? When are you going to be home? I'm going to ask a ton of questions, and then I'm going to pass judgment based on the information that I gather. If only God can judge us, then dads, we can never judge our daughter's boyfriends. And that ain't God. (laughs) Because I'm going to be very judgmental with my girl's boyfriends when they start dating when they're 30. The truth is we all judge people and a lot of times we need to. The problem is a lot of times we're just judging in the wrong way. 
There's a lot of examples in our culture of people judging based on shallow evidence. I mean, it's crazy the things that we will judge people based on these days. Like even phone cases. You notice that? Like somebody has their phone, and depending on what case you have, you can like kind of tell what kind of person they are. Like they ain't responsible. They don't have an otter box. <laughs> they didn't even consider the design on their phone case and how it collaborated with their outfit. We judge people based on their shoes, right? Now, I do judge people who wear sandals with socks. I'm just telling you, that's just a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. I'll judge you on that. There's a lot of things that we could judge. Some of you, your favorite exercise at the gym is judging. That is your favorite exercise. And John 7, 24 says this, Stop judging by mere appearances but instead judge correctly. What Jesus is saying here is you, you will judge, but you need to judge the right way. So why did Jesus say to judge correctly? Well, for a couple reasons. One, because there's a lot of pain associated with unfair judgment. People have been hurt by this. I have seen in my own life how sometimes the judgment is way bigger and more severe than the mistake or the sin itself. It's just out of balance. Another reason why Jesus said this is because we always judge the judgers. If you think about it in our lives, no one likes to be told no. No one likes to be told what the limits are. No one likes to be told what the boundaries are. Who gets yelled at the most at any sporting activity? The refs, the umpires. And some of you think that you would be a professional athlete today if it weren't for a mistake that some ref or umpire made in some junior high game that you played in. I'm just look at what happened to the Saints this last year. We had to endure another year of Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl because of that debacle. I mean, it's just horrible stuff. There is, amen, see, someone understands where I'm coming from. One person. There, uh, there's good and bad judgment, though. There's good and bad judgment. An example of bad judgment that happened in my life. I remember being on a missions trip in Romania. And uh, we'd had a long day of ministry, street ministry, doing a lot of different stuff. And our contact said, hey, we, we have a church that we're going to go to and visit tonight. And uh, we, you guys are going to present your dramas and all that and then share some testimonies. I said, okay, great. And, and then I said, so what kind of church is this? And, and she described a, a church and a denomination that I knew was very conservative. Uh, in fact, the women at this church almost never wore any kind of short sleeve shirts. They always wore dresses that were down to their ankles. And we weren't dressed immodestly, but the girls were wearing pants and, and, and short sleeve shirts and and so I just said, hey, are you sure this is going to be okay? Because, I mean, I, I know that typically speaking, she's like, oh, no, yeah, it'll be fine. Like, they have that conviction, but th they'll be fine. I'm sure. I'm sure. They're godly people. They love the Lord. I'm sure they'll be okay with it. I was like, all right. And so we rolled up in that place and, and got in there, and almost immediately, everybody in that place was staring down our girls, just looking at them. And I'm like, oh, this don't feel right. But we just went with it. We, we, we decided we went and started doing our dramas. We got about 
10 or 15 minutes into presenting these dramas and the pastor gets up and just shuts it down. And I was like, oh, all right. So my team, we all just kind of sat there and, and uh, he started speaking. We, I didn't understand what he was saying, but, but I started leaning over and asking the translators, like, what's he saying? And, he sa- and the translator didn't want to tell me. And the translator's like, um, he is saying that um, you should follow the Bible better and that your girls look scandalous <laughs> and basically went on to compare the girls on our team to prostitutes at this church service. So I was getting a little turned up, if you will. <laughs> but I was like, we're the missionaries. We can roll with this. We're going to be okay. But next thing I know, our contact, who's this American lady who had been in Romania for 34 years, I hear her start yelling from the back. And she starts yelling and screaming in Romanian at the, at the pastor. And next thing I know, this little lady's coming right down the middle aisle. And she comes right up to the pulpit and she starts yelling and screaming at, at him. And, and I'm asking, the, I'm like, this is getting good. I'm like, what? I'm leaning over the translator like, what's she saying? And he's like, I cannot say those words in church. <laughs> and, I, and I said, this is so good. And, and, then, and then basically she, she says a few more things. She, she turns to us, she says, we're out of here. And I'm like, all right, girl. So all the whole team, all of us stood up in the middle of this church service and we just marched right out the back doors. And, uh, and it was muddy outside. So we literally had to knock the dust off our feet, got back on our van and we left out of that place. But I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, no wonder they're such a small church. No wonder they're in the middle of this neighborhood in this community where there's so much need and they're not reaching them. Because there there can never be a person just walk off the street that didn't know their customs that could come in and not be judged immediately. One of the things I'm so thankful for about our church is I hear so many people say, when I came, I just felt so welcomed and I didn't feel judged. I felt like I could just be myself and people weren't worried about what I was wearing and how I was dressed. And just so you know, our dress code here at the church is yes, please. Like just wear clothes. That's all we're asking. Like it ain't complicated. Just please wear clothes. But we have got to keep that spirit. Growing up, I remember when my parents were struggling in their marriage, man. We, we didn't grow up always in churches that were just loving and accepting. And I remember fighting and yelling and screaming. And we pull in the church parking lot and we just had to fake it. We had to walk into that church just pretending like everything was okay. We can't have that kind of heart towards people. We need to have the type of heart that, that when someone is struggling... They can say, I wonder still today what what might've happened differently in my parents' marriage if my dad just would have felt the freedom to be able to go up to somebody at a church service and say, hey, we're not doing good. Our marriage is a wreck, we're a mess. And for him not to be judged, 
but to be loved and to be counseled and to be embraced and given help. In Matthew 7, 1 through 2, it says, don't pick on people and jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. This is the message translation. I love how this says this. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly smear on your own. Man. So I want to talk about some faulty mindsets that create judgment. Some faulty mindsets that create judgment. One is that you are more enraged at someone else's sin than you are embarrassed by your own. You're more angry about the sin in someone else's life than you are humbled and convicted about the sin in your own. We've talked about this story that Jesus told many times of a man who went before a ruler and asked for forgiveness for millions of dollars worth of debt. And the ruler graciously forgave him and, and, and just removed the debt off of him. And that man walked right out of that place and saw someone else that owed him about 17 bucks and went and began to choke him, demanding that that man repay him. And some of us, we've experienced some of that type of hypocrisy. But I also want to let you know that a huge sign of immaturity is when people are really frustrated all the time about hypocrisy. That's a sign of immaturity. When you just go around saying, there's nothing but hypocrites in church. There's nothing but hypocrites in this church. Hey, friend, it's in you too. It's in you too. It's in me too. And too often, we need to remember that it's not who died and made you king. It's did you forget why the king died? Because you needed grace and you needed forgiveness. I think it's important to be always painfully aware of your own sin. The grace that God had to give you. Another bad mindset in judgment, you cut off those who disagree with you. You just cut them off. It's really sad that in America today, friends can't be friends with other people who disagree with their point of view. I mean, that's just ridiculous. You see it on social media all the time. It's like you say something that, you don't agree, that someone else doesn't agree with and they just unfriend you. You're dead to me. <laughs> They'll never talk to them again. But this is only going to create a further gap. Like you doing that, it's not going that that person that you just cut off. They're not going to be like, oh, well, now I'm so convicted. Now that you did that, now I, okay, yeah, I changed my view. What can I do that you will refriend me and accept me again? It just doesn't happen that way. It just creates more anger, more division. The ultimate statement of judgment is depart from me. And only God can say that. Only a God has that infinite wisdom. Nobody here can ultimately say that. If you look at the national media right now, politics of the day, neither political party is getting this right. They just cut each other off, won't listen, cut each other off. But judgment without the grace of Jesus 
you'll cut people out of your life that God might have put in your life to help teach you something and to give you an opportunity to show them the love of Jesus. In what area of your life do you tend to judge? Because all of us have one. I probably have a few, but the one that comes to mind is one that all of you would be aware of with me. I tend to judge people's driving. A lot. It's not uncommon for me to be driving down the road, and if I get stuck behind someone in the fast lane for more than about six seconds, I am mentally and verbally cutting them off from my life. Cody won't let me call them names, so I don't do that. But it hasn't been uncommon for me to say something like, you clearly have no life. If you had a life, you would understand that others around you have a life. And we're trying to live that life. So get out of the fast lane so I can go live my life. I've felt that way before. And as a result, that is one area of my life that I have no favor whatsoever. Because of that, God keeps, oh my goodness, I was on my way back from Conway the other day. Lord help me. And I take some of the back highways to get back here. But there's some of those highways that they don't have passing lanes. And I got in behind someone that was going about 35 miles an hour on 107. (laughs) And the problem was they had stacked up eight vehicles behind them and nobody wanted to pass him. Mm. (laughs) So I started singing that old rugged cross in my car and had to just repent. Ah, get so judgmental. I'm not leading anyone to Christ while I'm driving. Let's just say it that way. (laughs) But if I lived my life in this church, like I do in traffic, there'd be a lot of hate around here and probably a lot less people because of that judgmental spirit. It's amazing how Jesus handled this. How he didn't cut people off. And Judas, after he had betrayed Jesus, and he comes to identify him in the garden, and he comes up to Jesus, in the original language, Jesus says, My friend, what have you come to do? Jesus gives a person who had just betrayed him who he had spent three years of his life loving and pouring into and and trusting and betrayed him and he calls Judas friend and we have to remember that all of us were called friend before we even knew who Jesus was that's the grace that's the love Another false mindset is you refuse to receive criticism yourself. Why do we hate criticism? Because we hate to admit our faults, because we hate to be weak. We hate that. James 5.16 says this, So admit your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. The problem is, 
You cannot receive the power of the gospel if you can't admit that you need it. The only way you experience the full power of the gospel is staying in a constant state of understanding, man, I need this. Not, I needed it once, but I'm good now. You're still broken. You're still sinful. You still have a sinful nature. But today, no one admits anything. There's like very, very little personal responsibility. If something comes up and it could be our fault, really, we just kind of judge stuff. Uh, and, and you see this, again, in the political realm. Nobody's taking personal responsibility. I think we'd all just have a heart attack if at one point or another, what some person in our government, you know, in, in the House or in the Senate just said, you know what, you're right, I, I, I'm wrong. <laughs> I miss that. I mean, hold I mean, we would vote that person as our next president, probably. Like a person that would just be willing to be humble enough to admit they made a mistake? Oh my goodness. But we do that too. We dodge. We dodge personal responsibility. But the gospel never works with dodging. And the last one is a little bit different, but still creates issues. You're hesitant to stand strong and correct someone for Christ. So here's the question. Is the word of God true to you? Like the whole word. Not what you like and then getting rid of the rest, but like is the whole word true to you? Does it mean something? If so... Stand strong on that word. Stand strong on that word. How will we grow if we don't challenge one another's sin and compromise and foolishness? You can't grow without change. And change almost never happens without some sort of uncomfortable pressure. That's the only way that change happens. But here's the thing. We can correct people without being hateful. We can correct people without being judgmental. You just don't have to make it personal. Typically, when we get really mean and spiteful and hateful, it's when we can't separate people from their issues and we take their issues personally. It's like a personal affront to us. You forgot, you laid down your rights to be offended when you accepted the price of the cross. You don't even have the right to be offended anymore. It says in Romans 14.1, Welcome with open arms fellow believers who don't see things the way that you do. Don't jump all over them every time they do or say something that you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith. But there are some things that we are called to judge. Because the same person who wrote this verse about, no, you, you don't need to be hateful and mean and get on to people and hurt them. But you do have to point out things that people need to correct according to the word of God. Because even Paul told people they were liars. He called out Peter in the Bible. Like we've all read about it. He called out Peter, the rock, that Jesus built his church on. He called out Peter on something that he was missing. 
that he was off on. He instructed people to be removed from the church that were unrepentant and causing issues. The main reason I want to speak on this is because I find that so many of you are not growing because we can't challenge you. You're not becoming who God wants you to be because you have this mentality. Because we call any challenge judgment. But it's really not the case. And when we get to that place, that's when we stop learning. And that's when we stop asking questions. And we repeat mistakes over and over and over again and get in cycles that are so damaging. In Proverbs 27, 17, it says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Look, judgment Judgment, coming to full judgment on someone is not healthy. It's not healthy to give or receive, but accountability will save your life. And you need somebody that can judge, you need someone in your life that can judge the fruit of your life and say, whoa, you're off. This is gonna hurt you. This is going to hurt your marriage. This is going to hurt your family. This is going to hurt you. And be strong enough to say something about it. Christianity is personal, but it was never meant to be private. You become a part of the body of Christ. You need to be open to the body of Christ challenging you that you're not being the part that God designed you to be. Look, I would rather run the risk of embarrassing myself among a small group of people that care about me than to run the risk of being embarrassed in front of thousands of people that could care less about me. But the way that I stay in that place is I'm willing to embarrass myself among a group of people that I love and trust and that I know love me. But we have to have that. So why do people hesitate to live with accountability? First of all, it's gonna cost you personal convenience. It's gonna cost you personal convenience. The early church, Acts 2.46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Let me tell you what it doesn't describe in this passage is all the work that it took. It doesn't describe like making meals and contacting people and, and going and being there when they're sick and, and going and celebrating with them when they had something great happen in their life. It, it doesn't talk about all the sidebar conversations and, and counseling and prayer meetings and, and digging into the word. It doesn't, it's not necessarily giving all the details of the amount of work that it takes. It is hard work to build real relationships with people. It's way easier to Netflix binge. It's way easier just to say, ah, relationships are hard. I just want to watch whatever. The truth is even Netflix will judge you. How many of y'all this has happened to you before? You've been up late watching what you feel like is a reasonable amount of Parks and Rec 
And all of a sudden, a notification comes up on Netflix. Are you still watching? <laughs> yeah, I realize it's 2 a.m. and I have two adults at 6 p.m., but you need to get off me, Judgy McJudgerson. Come on. Can't even relax with that. I want you to know I have friends that I am accountable to. I have accountability above me, beside me, and below me. And I'm intentional about this. The accountability above me, Pastor Harry, Pastor Rick, Pastor Darren, Pastor Bobby, I'm accountable to those guys. They can ask me anything, and they do ask me anything. And they also have permission to ask my wife. Because even if I'm having a difficult time telling the truth, she will tell them. <laughs> Beside me, I've got other campus pastors, other pastors in our community that I meet with, that I talk to, that are, I say, look, if you ever see something off, you, you see something in me on social media or, or just in the community, or even while I'm driving, if you see anything like that, that you know is going to hurt my witness or hurt the body of Christ, Please call me out. I have accountability below me. My staff, leaders in our church, my kids, whether you understand it or realize it or accept it, your kids are holding you accountable. If you don't see it, and you're acting any way you want to around your kids, you don't understand that they're holding you accountable. Sowing and reaping is a real thing. It's a real thing. But we need to have people around us. We all need to have friends that we allow to judge us. Because it's not judgment, it's freedom. It helps you live in freedom. The reason why we hate judgment is because we decided we don't want to have anybody hold us accountable. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times, a brother is born for adversity. I find there's just too many people that don't actually have a real friend. Like a, a friend that knows your struggles, knows your deepest, darkest secrets, and will love you and challenge you and hold you accountable. Look, I've just gone straight to some of my closest friends and just said, you know what? If you ever fall into sin, I'm going to kill you. And I'll get away with it. I watch a lot of CSI. I know how to do this thing. But I want to be there back to back with them. Like David and Benai in a barley field, fending off the enemy to save their life from a life of sin but we gotta be open to let people into our lives to do that, to have accountability. Another thing it's gonna cost is time. It's gonna cost time. This is one of the hardest things because we're busy. Look, none of us can make more time, but we can all make time count more. And you can't do that if you don't have relationships and accountability. How many enduring relationships have you ever been able to build without giving time to that relationship? 
Some of your marriages are in a really bad spot right now, and it's because you're both traveling at Mach 3 and not always heading in the same direction. And, and, and unless you're willing to intentionally and strategically carve out margin in your life to make sure that you're working on that relationship, it's not going to get better by itself. We've said this before. Look, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is green where you water it. But you're going to have to take some time to water some stuff. Take care of it. Some call it weak to be open. Like, I don't let anybody know when I'm going through something. Do you want to know what's weak? That person. That person's weak, whether they see it or not. Ecclesiastes 4 9, it says this Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If, any, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. This awesome man of God, John Wesley, some of you guys have heard of him, but he, when he would meet with the different people that he had accountability with, that he was mentoring, He'd ask them these series of questions and had to do about integrity with their money. He'd ask them, have you lied to anyone? Have you looked at anything that you shouldn't have looked at? Have you had any inappropriate interaction with someone of the opposite sex that you know that you shouldn't have had? And the very last question, after he asked this series of questions, he'd ask the question, and have you lied to me at all in answering these questions? But if you look at the fruit that was produced out of some of the men that came out of that group of people, whew, they've done some big things for the kingdom of God because they opened themselves up to accountability. Do you really think that it is safer living in a gated community with all the doors locked and your garage door closed, living a, a siloed lifestyle? Is that safe? Or is it more safe to have a friend that you can say to, hey, will you just judge me from time to time and make sure that my life is lining up with God's plan and purpose? In Acts 12, 5, it says this, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I know some people that are in big trouble and they don't have a soul in the world to pray for them. If you don't have that, it's your fault. You need to go get it. And I would encourage you, it's okay from time to time to post on social media, hey, I could just use some prayer right now. But you need to have somebody that you can call, that can go to war on your behalf. (laughs) Because sometimes you post uh, that you've got a prayer that you can't even tell everybody what to pray for. So you're just kind of praying like, like I'll pray for you. I'm like, Lord, help them with it, them. I don't know. They asked me to pray. They got an unspoken prayer request. I had a Christian comedian say it this way one time. He was doing altar ministry and he'd never done altar ministry before. And this person came up to them and, they, and up there for prayer, 
And the person says, yeah, I've, just, I've got an unspoken prayer request. You can pray for me. And, the, and the, the, the guy had never heard that before. And so he started praying for them. He's like, Lord, just, I just pray that you help them with this unspeakable thing that they did. Whatever that was, God, please help them. <laughs> like, what can't you say? <laughs> but unfortunately, sometimes things happen and your pride won't let you talk about the details of what you actually need prayer for. But if you want God to show up, you want the enemy to be defeated, it's going to have to transfer from a place of thought and emotion to a place of speaking the word of God if you really want it to be taken care of. you got to let the devil know and let your own faith know sometimes what you're going to believe. Last point is it's going to cost prayer. It's going to take some prayer. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. They were praying and praising and checking on each other, and eating together. And it says, the Lord added to their number daily. Of course, who doesn't want to be a part of something that's real? Like who wants to have a church that's cluttered with institution where systems and methods become more important than people? Nobody wants to be a part of that. We want Jesus. I don't need people yelling at me, but I do need people that are pulling for me. And if from time to time I get far enough off track, yeah, I'd rather have somebody yell at me and get my attention. Let me go down a path that's going to damage my life, my family, my marriage, or this church. I need to have people praying for me. But knowing how to pray, praying strategically and specifically. There's times when I want to pray and then there's just times I need other people to pray for me. But I want to challenge you. Please stop living like only God can judge you. Start humbling yourself and giving permission to a few people in your life that love you, that you can trust. Hey, I need you to judge me. I need you to, to see if there's anything about my life or in me that is not lining up with God's word and with his truth. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. definitely isn't my heart for this to be heavy but I, I sometimes when it's quiet I, I can think man am I missing something but in reality I think it's really just quiet because this can be a major issue I think some of us have struggled with being mean and hateful and judgmental and I think some of us have struggled with allowing people in to hold us accountable this is what I want to do. If you're just here today and you would just admit like, hey, I, I'm away from God on this. I'm away from the spirit of Jesus on this. I'm away from having his flavor on the way that I see people and talk to people. And I believe that God wants to just help you and shift 
some of your thinking. And I know that the way that He does that best is to simply remind us of the cross. But you may be here today and you've never been changed by the cross. You've never surrendered to who Jesus is as a Savior and also as your Lord. If you're here today and you just know, I'm just away from God. I, I, I feel, feel distant from Him and, and, I, and I don't know that I have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. If you're here today and you just feel like, man, I think that's me. Maybe you felt that you were close to Him at one point or another, but, but for one reason or another, you're not there now. You're away from Him. I just want to let you know that Jesus already calls you friend. He already wants to, he wants to restore you. He wants to give you purpose. He wants to give you a relationship. But he won't force you. He won't force you. You've got to be willing to accept it. And if you're here today and you know you need to accept a relationship with God through his son, Jesus, nobody looking around, if that's you, I want to pray for you. Let's put our hands up right now all across this room. I need Jesus. Thank you, got it, thank you guys. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. I know I'm away from him. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down, but I just wanna make sure that, that you know that I'm praying with you today. Anybody else? I need a relationship with Jesus. I'm away from him. Anybody else? Okay, a couple of hands. Thank you guys so much for being bold. Let's just go to him, let's talk to him. I want everybody just to repeat this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you would come and forgive me, restore me. I surrender my life to you. Thank you for saving me from my sin. But I make you my Lord. I wanna live for you. I wanna live according to your word, your plan and your purpose. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I pray that we would be a people that have the right perspective. God, that we wouldn't be judgmental. We wouldn't be mean-spirited. But God, but in relationship, that we would be willing to challenge each other and love each other enough just to say, hey, you're off. And I love you and I care about you. And God, I pray that that those of us that are in this place that don't have those kinds of relationships, that even as we're sitting here right now, that by your spirit, you start even putting people's names on our hearts of people that we can go and open our lives to and just say, hey, I need this. I give you permission. I give you permission to challenge me and to help me. And God, help us to be people that can grow and become the men and women that you've called us to be. I thank you, God, that we're going to keep that spirit that doesn't judge people at this church, but welcomes people. We thank you for that. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.